Welcome to the Forest Overstory podcast. This podcast explores forest stewardship in the Pacific Northwest, helping landowners and professionals gain new insights and information in the field of forest management. The Forest Overstory is a product of the Washington State University Extension Forestry Program and is supported by the Washington Department of Natural Resources and the Society of American Foresters. All right. Well, welcome back to the Forest Overstory, folks. We have a great episode in store today. Uh, As always, I'm Patrick Schultz, uh, your host and extension forester with Washington State University. Uh, Kevin is out, so I am riding solo today, although that is only really part true because today uh, our guest is also a fellow member of the extension forestry team, Dr. Molly Dar. She is the newest addition to the team. And today we're going to get to know her a little better, uh, as well as talk about her plans for her program and dig in a little specifically on the uh, Women Women Owning Woodlands Network in Washington. Molly, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me on today. Uh, Well, I'm super excited to have you. Uh, Thank you for being our guest. I thought this would be a really great way uh, to get you introduced, although I know you've been doing the rounds since you started in the fall and talked to a lot of folks. Uh, but for maybe those that haven't gotten to meet you yet and hear about your program, this would be a, a great way to, to do that introduction. And maybe just to give uh, folks a better idea of your new position, what is your new role on the Extension Forestry team? Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate the platform to get my name out there. And right off the bat, I just want to encourage anyone who is listening and is more curious about what we talk about today or what I do just to please reach out. Um, I'll make sure that Patrick has my email and cell phone number so y'all can reach me. Um, So yeah, I I was recently hired on as the new extension forester um, for WSU back in October. Um, I'm based out of Mount Vernon. So I'm at the Northwest Research and Extension Center out here. Um, and so my, I do have, my focus is on four counties in the Northwest part of Washington. So that's Clallam, Jefferson, Kitsap, and Whatcom. But it is a statewide appointment as it is with WSU. So I will be serving the whole state. So that, that speaks to what Patrick graciously said is this, yes, I've been hitting the road. I've been trying to meet as many of you as possible. Um, and that just goes back to say, if anybody wants me to come out or meet them, or if there's anybody that I've missed, please don't hesitate to reach out and get my attention. Perfect. Yeah. And for maybe even more background, if we've got some first time listeners or someone that's just not familiar with the extension forestry program out of WSU, uh, we're kind of regional, but also a little state fluid. It is a little nebulous, but for instance, I cover Southwest Washington, Kevin covers part of Northwest Washington. Now Molly is going to be covering the peninsula, uh, Kitsap and and Clallam, or not Clallam, sorry, Whatcom. Uh, So those were recently kind of gaps in our coverage. And then we got people on the east side as well so right now for the first time in a while thanks to you molly i think we're actually covering the truly covering the entire state which is really exciting no yeah i'm excited to be part of such a dynamic team um i've already been welcomed in with open arms and it seems like yes there there is a a void to be filled out here but you and kevin and andy perleberg and everybody else has been doing such a good job handling the statewide appointment that the needs are already known um and i'm just glad to kind of pick up and support wherever you guys are needed, need me. Well, we definitely need the help. Lots of landowners out there for sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And they're all doing really cool stuff. We all want to 
go out and see that. And that's most of the job, right? Getting out. That's right. That's the fun part of the job, at least. Um, but before we dig into your sort of future plans with your program, um, I'm personally curious, and I'm sure everyone else is kind of where uh, you're coming from. What were you doing before this? And what's your your background? I know you were doing some interesting stuff. And that's the reason that uh, we were able to pick you up here on the team. Sure. Um, so yes, I, I, so I grew up back East. Um, I'm originally from Virginia. Um, I went to school for entomology. So I went to Virginia tech for both undergrad and graduate school. Um, while I was at graduate graduate school for Virginia tech, I studied, uh, forest entomology specifically, um, wherein I studied, uh, potential, this is going to get, I don't want it to get technical right off the bat, but a potential biological control agent for an invasive species. So the invasive species was called the hemlock woolly adelgid, which actually exists out here in Washington. Um, the difference being that it does occupy and infest Western hemlocks, but it doesn't kill them. Um, and back East, it has devastated Eastern mm-hmm. hemlocks spanning all the way from Maine to Georgia, as far west as Kentucky. So essentially what we were studying was why is that? Why can you see the populations at such high numbers out here, out west, and it doesn't seem to have an impact? What's the difference between, is it some sort of genetic defense between Western and Eastern hemlock? We don't know. Or... Where I came in was the question whether there's some sort of predator complex in play out here that doesn't exist back east. Um, Certain predator insects that keep populations low enough that they don't kill the trees that simply don't naturally occur back east because, you know, they didn't co-evolve together um, since hemlock woolly adelgid is an invasive species back there. So that's what I studied. Um... I studied a specific beetle that actually um, can be found way before I even moved out here or knew that I was going to. I was taking trips out to the Tacoma area to collect this specific beetle to see if it would be a viable uh, biological control agent that we could introduce to the wild to help control invasive uh, populations of the hemlock woolly adelgid. Um, so that was my graduate work. That's, that's what got me interested um, in entomology in general. Well, that's super cool. That's exactly the kind of technical stuff I wanted to dig into. And whether our listeners to it do or don't, I think it's awesome. Um, yeah, and you can probably, just skip ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just fast forward if you don't want. <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting. And I'd seen the the damage from the Hemalcoli Adelgid firsthand in the Smoky Mountains. It is oh, pretty, yeah. pretty intense there. Um, so that's really, really interesting work. And I'm glad you're really coming to Washington at a good time. Uh, considering the uh, the now present emerald ash borer, we had a really good episode last month on that with Karen Ripley, and I'm sure this sort of integrated pest management expertise of yours is going to come in handy in the coming years. I listened to that episode; it was fantastic. She she was such a great interview, and I learned a ton. I, I really appreciated you having her on, Patrick. Nice, thanks. Well, yeah, it's, it's clear why you uh, ended up here, <laughs> if you're already working in the area. But you also went from Virginia Tech, I think, to Clemson, right? And you That's were doing right. a postdoc? 
Yeah, yeah. So while I was there, I, I also got super involved in um, out community outreach and extension initiatives when I was in graduate school at Virginia Tech. Um, and so I was really excited when an opportunity arose based out of Clemson University working with Dr. David Coyle um, who for a 100% extension postdoc program um, within the field of forest health. So while there, I directed and maintained the Southern Forest Health and Invasive Species Program, um, which essentially was a regional forest health program that served as a consistent source of forest health information for natural resource professionals throughout the southeastern United States. Um, so basically, that meant that I aggregated a bunch of pest, weed, and pathogen biology, diagnostics, um, potential impact information, integrated pest management programs for forest land and agricultural trees. Um, and I just had it all in one spot on this website. And also that we had a, a Facebook page and a webinar program, and we put out a bunch of different publications. So essentially, wherever you lived in the southeastern United States, um, you could come to this kind of one-stop shop and you would be able to know who were, was the expert in your area. Um, there was a whole directory of those folks. And also you could access the most up-to-date information in terms of like fact sheets or webinar programs or um, uh, peer-reviewed publications or whatever. It was all in one place. So I, I really, really enjoyed this program. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I, I worked with Dave for upwards of four years. We, we did this together. And it just allowed me not only just to get so much field experience um, and really help me understand that um, extension is what I'm truly passionate about. I'm, I'm so happy that I have the opportunity to do this in an academic setting. Um, but it also introduced me to a ton of really amazing people like in the government, industry, landowners, citizens, academics, all types of different people. Um, and I just learned a ton. So um, yeah, that that is essentially what brought me to my new position here at WSU, where I'm hoping to replicate a bunch of the progress that we made in the Southeast and just kind of carry it over to my new program here in the new, in the Northwest. Yeah. It seems like a pretty natural segue and wow, what a big job. I mean, I, I struggle all the time with, <laughs> you know, serving multiple counties, uh, serving multiple States. That's a whole different ball game. Um, it's pretty, <laughs> pretty impressive. I kind of curious, um, you know, I know you've only been doing this uh, at, in Washington for, um, I don't know, maybe six months or so. Um, but do you, have you seen any like key differences in sort of landowner dynamics, maybe landowner objectives or forest management wise, or even differences in, in how forest health is is handled? I, I only ask because I always think about this coming from, from Michigan and and how different things can be culturally and ecologically. Yes, um, that's. I'm yeah. so glad you brought that up. That is such a good question. It, it struck me almost immediately, the difference. And I, so what I'm referencing is coming from the South, it really was more like the traditional Wild West. It, it seemed like <laughs> if you owned your land, you can do within reason whatever you want to it. Um, there isn't a ton of government oversight in terms of environmental protection policies, um, endangered species policies. Um, you know, there are lots of different rec recommendations and, you know, 
don't take my word as like, this isn't a black and white issue, of course, but I do, I do see here in Washington speaking with landowners as I have so far that their hands are tied in a lot of ways that I didn't experience back East. Um, I also see uh, in terms of like um, the spotted owl um, protection or fish protections, uh, waterway protection, things like that, which is great, but um, it definitely, I think, I think it, it keeps people from, I, I think it may discourage certain landowners from even wanting to pursue land management. And I think that there's a lot of misinformation out there that, um, of course, I would love to address if given the opportunity further down the road. Um, and the yeah. other thing that I think is, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Patrick. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think you really, I think that general sentiment is very true that sometimes it just seems so tricky to kind of navigate for landowners the policy that it could actually discourage them from getting involved because they don't really know maybe what they can and can't do. And that's why we're we're lucky to have a lot of state resources that go into supporting landowners through that. But even, you know, it's our job, I think, to to make people aware of those resources, which is its own challenge. But I didn't mean to interrupt. Please. No, that's a great point. I'm glad I'm glad that you um, you brought that up. I, uh, I've, I've definitely been in touch with some really great DNR folks who have pointed me in the direction of some amazing resources on their website right. where you simply just type in your zip code and you can find um, the nearest experts towards you where you can just reach out and ask him, ask questions about. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a really complicated issue and one that I am by no means an expert on. And I am learning a ton every day trying to reach out and speak to experts in the area because there's just so much to catch up on um like i said really great policies in place but they're complicated and hard for someone to understand even if it is like in my technically in my profession i'm still having trouble wrapping my head around everything um the other interesting thing that i found um was the frequency of um burning, uh, prescribed burns to control invasive species and invasive undergrowth in the South. It was super, super common practice. Tons of landowners were certified um, and they would do it all the time. And I I guess I just don't run across it as often out here either. Um, And so that's possibly partially because of the climate and how quickly that can get away from you and how scary that is. But um, it can also be a really useful tool. So, you know, because I'm so new to this area, I don't know if that's cultural or regulatory or what, but I'm definitely interested in pursuing that and and trying to unpack that a little bit more as well. It's all of the above, but that's such an interesting point. And like, it's something that we can really, I think, learn from in the Southeast. And it's kind of, I think like the Southeast uh, best kept secret in terms of fire or forest management is that fire, um, it, it never really left the South. They've been using it for centuries. Um, right. You know, either indigenous uh, cultures using it or, um, you know, even to, to today it's used in the pine plantations from my understanding. Obviously, you That's know right. a lot more about this than I do, but it's just, it's fire is just an inherent part of the solution of forest management out there. And here there is a struggle because there's things like smoke management, and of course, risk of, of more catastrophic wildfires and, and, and the cultural perception of that. We won't dig into that today. That's beyond the scope, but it's, uh, you know, it culturally is a really interesting thing. And I've always been fascinated by how accepted fire is in the Southeast. Yeah, That's certainly. really interesting, especially given how much the other piece too is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the land in the Southeast is privately owned. There's much That's less right. federal land. Yeah. Whereas Washington, it's like 30%. I think in those states, it can be upwards of like 
80 to 90%, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, I was yeah. shocked by the stats. I, I looked them up just last week, but 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 that's true. It, and it shows how invested private landowners are in the, in the practice themselves. They can see the results. They can see how well it works. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and then there's the dynamic out here of, you know, really having to kind of share the land and work together when you have so many different ownerships. Uh, yeah, they, we, yeah, we should do a whole separate uh, podcast episode on uh, on sort of land use and how policy affects that. Maybe maybe yeah, it would put some people to sleep, point. but <laughs> yes, yes. I, I would I would nerd out with, out with you on that. I think it's really. I need an education. I would love to listen to that episode. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> sure. Um, but one thing I did really, you know, kind of switching gears and, and talking about your uh, your intentions here uh, it, with your program in in Washington. Uh, really wanted to talk about WOW, uh, which is the Women Owning Woodlands Network. And it is so hard for me to say that without stuttering sometimes. Oh, I know. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. But can you tell us what WOW is and how you've been involved with it so far and kind of what you're thinking here in Washington? Yeah, thank you so much for asking, Patrick. I appreciate the platform to talk about something that is so uh, near and dear to my heart. Definitely one of the favorite, my favorite things that I did during my postdoc um, down in Clemson. So while I was there, I co-founded and ran the South Carolina chapter of Women Owning Woodlands um, with my friend and colleague, Janet Steele. Um, so Women Owning Woodlands is a national network that provides female-focused forestry education programs through virtual and in-person workshops, webinars, videos, field tours, downloadable literature, all this stuff, and, um, and also channels it through social media outlets. So this network is sort of just, again, sort of what I was doing with um, my Southern Regional Extension Forestry Program. It's an aggregate of information to be distributed to who's targeted, our female landowners. But through my experience, it's useful basically to any underserved community who is managing forest land, new to the scene of forestry, forest management, forest education, um, Essentially, it supports anyone who are anyone who is a woodland owner, a forest practitioner, um, through topical, accessible, and current forestry information. So, it essentially supports women in forest leadership, women who manage their own woodlands, and anyone who facilitates the stewardship of forests. Um, so, the idea behind this, I think, it was started. It was started back in 1999 as a I, th I think often in the Southeast, especially traditionally, um, there are, you know, there are traditional gender roles that occur. So right. a lot of times women wouldn't be involved in the conversations and wouldn't understand, wouldn't have the lingo um, or know much about the land management practices that go down behind, you know, managing a massive forest. Um it's not, you know, it's not because they were purposefully left out or that they didn't have any interest. It's just traditionally, you know, who would talk to who about what. So a lot of times, historically, um, women would be, it would be like either, you know, a wife would be left a chunk of land that her husband managed or sure. a daughter would be left a chunk of land if their father died. And unfortunately, there are a lot of you know, opportunistic, let's call it logging cup companies who would try and buy that land from these folks um, for pennies on the dollar of what it's actually worth. So mm. the idea behind this education program is just to provide like 
a network of vetted professionals that in your area. So, you know, there's, it's a, it's a national network. So there are, we're trying to get representatives available in each state. There certainly already is in each region. Um, and then they just provide uh, areas or regional specific uh, educational information um, through, like I said, it can either be through hybrid education. Um, so both online and in-person workshops, um, or it can be just hooking you up with different peers or experts in your area. So you can reach out and have conversations on your own um, with someone that you feel heard by and someone you know can trust to give you the most up-to-date and fair information and prices, you know, if we put you in touch with loggers, um, things like that. So, so that's the idea behind uh, women owning woodlands in general. That's interesting. I did not really know the background of that and that it got start. Did you say it got started in the Southeast U.S.? I think that they came together. I'm not, I'm, I'm actually, I do not know exactly where. I know it was an Eastern organization to begin with. I'm not okay. sure if it was started in the Southeast, but I know that was the particular problem that we kept running up against. Sure. Um, was just, uh, unfortunately, you know, women live longer than men, or at least historically, that's how it was. And so you would yeah. find a lot of people just inheriting these properties that they just were just like, I have to deal with this now, like on top of everything else, I don't even know where to begin, you know, that kind of a, 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 an issue. Yeah, I don't doubt it at all. That's uh wow. I mean, that's really interesting. I just didn't realize that was kind of the um, you know, part of the services provide. And I, I also didn't realize that it caters to um, like forestry professionals a little bit. Am I getting you right? Like, like yeah. female forestry professionals can get plugged into WowNet and, um, you know, access all those resources as well. Absolutely. Um, it's, it really is. It's the, the WOW leaders that I'm connected with are from all kinds of different backgrounds, academic, uh, governments, at the state or federal level. Some of them work for the USDA. Um, they're all over the place, but it, it is a bunch of like really brainy individuals who have a ton <laughs> of experience. Um, so I know that I've learned so much from them and it's, it is nice. Like when you have the whole internet in front of you to know that there is at least one channel that you can go through and you can talk to someone who can put you in touch with someone who is vetted and you know you can trust what they're telling you instead of kind of just googling it and sort of making your way on your own so yeah, yeah. I, as as a forestry professional myself I've, I've benefited tremendously from this network already nice well, so we we do have i guess you could call it like a pseudo chapter here in washington uh yeah. right kevin started it uh frankly but you know we we've lacked uh, a female extension forester or we've had some and then there's been turnover and people have moved away and things like that but for a while we haven't had a female extension leader to kind of take up the charge so it's really exciting to have you here what are your sort of objectives with the with the program now well, I, th I think it's so cool that you all were so ahead of the game um on the on that and i was so excited when i moved here to find out that the ball was already rolling um Patrick, I don't know if you've talked about it on here yet, but I attended an incredible chainsaw workshop that you organized <laughs> a few weeks ago, um, ran through the steel company um, that gathered together so many impressive female professionals um, in the area. Uh, and I, I was just frankly blown away by by what you were able to pull off um, with, with that incredible facility that they have outside of Olympia. Well, um, 
I should thank you really for covering for me because I got COVID and I could I had organized this workshop, got COVID, couldn't attend, and then you oh, and and Grace, an another Extension Forester, were willing to cover for me, and it's probably for the best in the end because this is a women only Woodlands workshop. But I got to say, I've done this before, and they are. Uh, just a lot of fun. It's just such a great environment to learn. And our partners at Steel are, like you said, just amazing. Uh, yeah. They do such a good job getting that information out there. And it's one of the most popular workshops that I have ever organized. I, I brought it back by popular demand and it sold out within 24 hours. So That's what I heard. That's yeah. madness. Lots That's, of room for more. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, that that really, that really, and I, I feel the same way as you. It's like when I'm in the room and I mean, I didn't do any work. The, the steel guy ran the whole thing. I, I just benefited from being in the room. I, I felt like, yeah, it, it was such a treat for me. And and it definitely is one of those reaffirming, you know, things that you get to do in your job when you're stuck behind your computer so often. It's just like, oh yeah, like, this is why I do what I do. This mm -hmm. is so rewarding. Um, you could just like, I could like physically feel my battery charging up being in that atmosphere. Um, and I was also really excited to learn that there is already such a demand for that kind of programming in Washington. Um, I really had no idea that there is such a large concentration of small landowners, um, mm. particularly uh, sort of in our area, Patrick, like going up and down the, the western side of the state. Um, not particularly, but there, there is a huge concentration out here. And so oh, yeah. um, I would I I would understand why your program would sell out in, you know, <laughs> 24 hours. So as far as my objectives, I, I you know, I, I do think I would love to work with you and Kevin and make sure that we can continue to offer specifically, you know, chainsaw workshops and clinics, chainsaw safety clinics, those kinds of things. And I, I would just love to help you, you know, increase your reach. And um, it, it's a long way for you to go all the way up to Whatcom, but maybe I can start offering, you know, that kind of programming up here and we can join forces like that. Um, I also think something, you know, a little, a, a little bit of a, an aside, but um, something else that we found, you know, during uh, trying to reorient our programming um, with the uh, with the pandemic, so like we st we we founded this chapter in 2019, and we were able to get a couple workshops under our belt. They were super successful. They were all in person, and then like the rest of the country, suddenly we were thrown into like what does a hybrid model look like? How do yeah. you offer this kind of programming online when it seems like it should so traditionally be like hands on, essentially hands on. Um, what we learned was that digital communication tools offer unique advantages through distance learning, um, like remote communication platforms, like social media and webinars. They give these stakeholders the ability to access educational materials online. Um, they offer like a flexibility and learning time, reduction in travel costs, and it gives participants the opportunity to communicate with professionals and a community of peers without geographic limitations. So a larger group of people can be reached at a lower cost with a higher engagement, which is like, that is by far, as far as I'm concerned, the silver lining coming out from being forced into online programming as we all were um, as educators during that time. Um, and I also think it makes, especially makes sense for forestry professionals and forest landowners, because a lot of us are rural and you can't necessarily make it to this 
awesome workshop that you want to be a part of, but it's like three hours away and maybe you have kids at home and, you know, you can't afford the time away from the house or you got work to do or whatever. It's like you can log on to a webinar or you can watch a recording later on. Um, And I think I would like to enhance um, the hybrid part of our programming, too, and make sure that there would be regular um, online educational resources, whether they're online workshops or online webinars that would be able to have uh, local landowners listen to experts speak on their topic, but then also they would get to learn about where these experts live, you know, regionally if they're near them and then give them the opportunity to meet meet up in real time um, outside of our educational online programming um, and um, and pursue their own land management needs um, on their own time. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's, um, you're absolutely right. It was this like, pearl i guess that came out of covid was uh once one of the lessons we took away i think um from some of the post webinar online programming whatever whatever form it was was online learning uh surveys is that there is a whole segment of forest owners out there that um not only prefer online learning but straight up said you know they wouldn't attend anything in person either that's yeah because maybe they just don't like that kind of learning or because they're just too busy and and we can all understand that so it really is kind of mission critical in order to to really reach the broadest audience to continue to provide that online platform another interesting thing that i we learned and i'd have to like go back and look at the the survey data but um we i know that we saw that generally our online programs had higher attendance from women um really yeah and i don't really know what i I don't want to speculate as to what's behind that um but just generally uh we had much higher attendance uh from women than in our in-person workshops where our our in-person workshops might be like 50 50 or you know say 60 40 more more men than women uh the online programs were more like 70 30 mostly women Um, yeah just kind of big numbers but um i just think that's really interesting and so like what you're talking about is uh of continue to to offer this this form of programming and and developing this wow network um yeah an online wow network or or a a wow program that incorporates online learning i think would probably be very effective yeah i think that that i i know that you guys already offer so many great learning opportunities through your coached planning sessions. And, and I think it would be probably like, we would have a lot of overlap there too. Um, uh, And I I find those numbers that you're reporting really interesting. And yeah, it's just like, Oh, I I guess it could be a thousand reasons why, but um, (laughs) it's good to know that the audience again is already there um, and they're, and they're hungry for more. And, And you guys have already established such an awesome network of individuals that are just, sort of just like all prepared and ready to go. So um, I don't know. It just sounds like a tremendous opportunity. And I, I'm, I'm just coming back to the same thing that I felt since starting here like six months ago is just like nothing but support and passion and just a bunch of eager individuals who love what they do um, here in the extension service. So I just, I feel really, really lucky to be such a part of such a cool uh, community like this one. Well, we're definitely excited to have you. And the passion is kind of the key. It's what keeps you going. And 
yeah. you know, working weekends and nights and all that stuff. Yep, that's right. <laughs> you gotta, that's right. Yeah, you got to like what you're doing. Yes. Um, <laughs> and like the people you work with, you know, I just, I do, my best part of my job is just getting to know uh, the the forest owners and their different objectives and, and things like that. And kind of actually speaking on that, one thing I'm, I'm curious about in your work with um, the WOW program um well just i guess to step back first you know we know through pretty exhaustive surveys either at the state level or at the national level through like the national woodland survey woodland owner survey that um you know generally speaking private forest owners have you know the top 10 land management objectives we know for instance things like wildlife are really important wildlife mm -hmm. habitat enhancement uh you know water protection things like that we know that timber production is generally pretty low lower often than most people think um and i'm sure you're familiar with that too i kind of just wonder do we know are there any differences when we sort of isolate and, and look at the female audience in particular is there a different set of objectives that you've seen either in the southeast or even in your time here that's a really, I love that. Yes, that's a great question. Actually, there there are some certain patterns that stood out to us in the Southeast. Um, it's, it's always part of our evaluation process as extension right. professionals. You know, you want to make sure that the messaging that you're putting out there is being received. Um, you want to make sure that you have effective programming. But part of the questions that we would ask are, what are your objectives? You know, in a perfect world, what would you like to achieve with your piece of land? Sure. Um, and there's even there's even literature online that supports this, that overwhelmingly women do tend to focus on um, like a holistic ecosystem that they want to cultivate on their on their property. And also there seems to be a common drive in creating um, community spaces. Uh, so like that could look like um, basically ways that you can recreate on the land. So uh, things like nature walking trails, um, bird watching uh, opportunities, um, just ways that you can just sort of like wander around and enjoy your land um, sort of aside from a timber uh, production perspective. Um, but the neat thing that I learned while working with these groups and something that we were excited to bring to the, to the community was that you can also have, I mean, depending on the size of the, your parcel and land, but you, you can have it both ways. Um, you know, I, I think people shy away from the idea of timber production because they picture big, nasty clear cuts. And, and there's certainly a lot of ways to go about it. You can do selective harvest and you can, you know, make a profit and invest in your family and, and make sure that, you know, you, you and your family are protected, but you can also maintain also a really gorgeous ecosystem on your land too and maintain, you know, hunting space or, um, wildlife space, uh, cultivate a healthy ecosystem, that kind of thing. Um, anyway, I'm good. I'm getting off track, but yeah, I, I thought, I thought that that was a really interesting, um, a question and something that jumped out to me that I wouldn't expect there to be, I don't know, a difference yeah. at all in management perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting too, that like the, the timber thing is funny because it's one of those things, uh, um, uh, a forest owner I work with pointed this out to me that you know it's probably not number one on the list but for a brief period in someone's life it might become number one and then it goes mm -hmm. back so it's something we yeah. should never leave off the table we need to be you know always considering that you know kids got to go to college or there's a 
unexpected hospital bill or maybe mm-hmm. goals and objectives change and all of a sudden you know now timber now timber harvest actually is kind of important um and mm-hmm. and, and so yeah so it's kind of funny how that works um and indeed many forest owners will live on their land their entire life and not and not harvest um but many do you know at least once so it's it's kind of just funny how that works it needs to be a part of the program but like you said you know the general the the things that i think most forest owners are passionate about and the reason a lot of people purchase their land or or continue to manage it if they're inheriting it is really more of a lifestyle thing and a part of that lifestyle comes with you know recreation hunting passing down those traditions um you know enhancing and or maintaining a, a haven for different wildlife that they admire um and yeah and i know that i've known many women landowners uh that share those values very much and are hard at work getting their forest lands uh to be really good spaces for all of those things. Um, so, so I, I admire what you're doing and I'm very excited to see, you know, it's all to say, I'm very, very excited about the wow network and what might come, uh, down the line pretty soon. Um, do you have any sort of like action items for landowners if they wanted to get involved with this? What, what could they do? Yes. Thank you so much. Um, for bringing that up and, and everything you just said so well said um i absolutely <laughs> agree on every aspect and it, it to me it is always it is so wild what some of these um landowners that i've met already out here in washington have been able to do with their land like retirements are taken care of kid, grandchildren college tuition taken care of just by <laughs> right. planning ahead it, it, it's it's really impressive um, yeah. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm super excited by the platform that you and Kevin have already laid out. I think that something that we could benefit from out here in the Northwest quadrant of the country is working together with Idaho, Oregon, neighboring states to um, share resources, experts kind of start getting in touch with other folks. There's already a couple women that are involved with the network in Oregon who I've been in touch with. Um, so I think we can probably share the load. Um, I know like where I, where I lived between Virginia, North Carolina and South Carolina, we were all in Georgia. We were always in touch and, and sharing programming. And a lot of times um, folks, I don't know, they travel between these States more than you would expect. So I encourage anyone else who's listening in those other States to reach out to me or Patrick. Um, if you are specifically in Washington, um, I would love it if you would email me. I'm looking for ideas. I want to know what programming you want to see. Um, I want to know what programming you feel like you've been lacking. I want to hear from the experts, please. If you if you are listening, reach out to me. Um, so, I mean, you can email me. I'll, I'll I'll just say maybe you can include it in the notes or something, Patrick. But absolutely, yeah. We'll, okay, we'll, awesome. We'll include the email in the description of the podcast. So if you're listening Perfect. now and want to email Molly, look out for that. Yeah, just reach out to me directly. This is absolutely 100% my job is hearing from you guys and and learning how I can best serve you. So um, this thing is really at the beginning stages in terms of what I'm bringing to the table and I'm all ears. So uh, Patrick, again, I I can't express how appreciative I am to you for giving me this platform today to talk about something that I'm so passionate about um, and also learn from your perspective as someone who's been in the game, you know, for so long and, and, and already been able to accomplish so much. Well, that's very nice. Uh, yeah. I'm, I always, I'm not the type 
to to brag about what I know or don't know. So, but I am always happy to help. <laughs> so whatever, <laughs> whatever I can, it. whatever I can offer, I'm, I'm of course happy to help. And I'm really excited to see where things go. And um, just also very grateful to you for being on the podcast. And hopefully, uh, this isn't the last time we hear from you. You know, we would love to have you on again. I love that. As, you know, as a co-host, uh, you know, for yeah. for whatever um, guests we might have in the future, you would be welcome. So, oh, that would uh, be such a dream. Yeah, no, I would <laughs> I would love to be involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think this is such a neat thing that you built, and um, if it puts me in touch with more folks in Washington, like I, I'm I'm game. That sounds wonderful, Patrick. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have any closing thoughts before we kind of wrap up? No, I, I just want to say I'm sorry that this has been so vague, but um, like I said, it's very much in the beginning stages. And for all all developments, I will be in touch with Patrick. So keep an eye on the podcast um, and um, on all of the uh, the great literature that Patrick puts out because um, we're going to be working together on this initiative. And um, hopefully he's going to be able to help me advertise. Um, and if you ever have any questions or you're just curious what's going on, like I said, don't be uh, hesitant. Don't be afraid to reach out to me directly. Perfect. Well, yeah. And like I said, we'll put your email in the description. And I really encourage um, people interested in the WOW Network to to reach out to Molly because it sounds like um, this is a really good opportunity to grow something pretty, you know, grassroots. And that's that's always the best way to do things, right? Yeah, so, totally. Um, well, thank you so much. I think we're going to close it out here. And as usual, I just want to point people towards our uh, Extension Forestry website to look for uh, events coming in your area. Uh, that is forestry.wsu.edu. There you can also find uh, Molly's and my contact information and our various other resources we host on that page. Uh, one event coming up to think about on the west side of Washington. Uh, on June 10th, we'll be doing a big family forest field day in Eatonville. And I believe in eastern Washington, that will be on June 24th in Kalispell, the Kalispell Community Forest, I believe. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Either way, check our website, forestry.wsu.edu to learn more. And with that, I will sign off and see you all next month. <laughs> <laughs>